Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so today we begin what's an annual celebration of what we call Holy Week, and which is the, the final week of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion. And this day, the Sunday before Easter, is best known as Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because of the words found in the Gospel of John that describe Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem that Sunday before his crucifixion. And in his account, John says that a, there was a great multitude of people that were gathered in the city that day. And when they heard that Jesus was coming, when he was drawing near, they took branches of palm trees and they rushed out to meet him, lining the street, waving the palm branches. And, and the crowd began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who, who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. It was the announcement of the arrival of a king. It was the coronation ceremony for a long-awaited king. And Jesus arrived to cheers and praise that day, but it would turn out that the week would end far differently than how it was beginning. See, in a few short days, this cheering crowd would be replaced by an angry mob, a mob that would arrest him, Hosannas would be replaced with voices shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Whereas on Sunday, the coronation ceremony would be a celebration. By Friday, it would be a crown of thorns that he was wearing on his head. And he would walk a different street, the Via Dolorosa, the, the street of suffering. And this time, it would be a jeering, mocking mob that lined the streets. No waving palm branches, but the scripture said that they spat on him as he walked by. On his way to the hill where they would nail him to a cross. And he'd be taunted until the end beneath a crude sign that said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What a difference a few days make that Palm Sunday would turn out to be a day filled with misunderstanding and misplaced expectations. The crowd that, that, that met him had expectations of a king that, that Jesus turned out just not to be what they expected. They misunderstood his very reason for coming to the city that day. John 12, 16 says his own disciples did not understand these things. They didn't grasp what was happening in their midst. And Jesus would weep over their misunderstanding, their blindness as to who he was. You'll see this in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so if you'd like to um, follow along in your Bible, I'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. And this is where we'll stay for the rest of the time. Luke 19, 28 through 44, the triumphal entry. It starts off, after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, 
he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so Luke begins his report of that day with Jesus leading his disciples toward the city of Jerusalem. Earlier in chapter 19, we didn't read this, but earlier in the chapter, Luke tells how Jesus had entered and then passed through the city of Jericho. And that's where we find him now on the road that connected Jericho to Jerusalem, the Jericho Road. The Jericho Road, that was the road that Jesus used as the setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so Jericho is this city which lies about 15 miles to the east of the city of Jerusalem. And it's actually located in elevation. It lies 850 feet below sea level. And it's actually the lowest inhabited, lowest in elevation inhabited city on earth. Jerusalem, on the other hand, sits 2,500 feet above sea level. And so reaching Jerusalem involved a 15-mile hike and climbing 3,300 feet in total of elevation, which is why Luke says that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. But before you reach Jerusalem, you actually have to crest over a hill, which is called the Mount of Olives. But before you reach the crest of that hill, On this side of it, the east side, there were two small villages kind of located diagonally across from each other, Bethphage and Bethany. And so we're told that Jesus arrives at Bethphage and that he sent two of his his disciples out of Bethphage and he tells them, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you'll find a colt on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say the Lord has need of it. And so those who, went, who, who were sent went and found it just as he had told them. 
As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And so what you begin to see here is Jesus beginning to to set some things in motion. He directs two disciples. Go over to that village next door, and you're going to find a donkey. And you'll know it's the right donkey because it's going to be a young one, a colt. It'll be a donkey colt that no one has ever ridden. That's the one I want. You'll find it tied up, and I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody asks or tries to stop you, all you have to do is tell them that I need to borrow it. And so they did. They found the donkey colt just as he had said, and they bring it to him. And this all seems strange until you realize that it was the fulfillment of prophecy from centuries earlier. Zechariah 9.9, which I read at the beginning, says, again, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years earlier, Zechariah spoke those words. He predicted that the Messiah king would come in the way that you would know that it was him, was by the way he entered. That he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when Jesus sent them into the village to get a donkey, he was sending them for the very donkey that had been prophesied by Zechariah. Jesus is setting the stage to make a statement here. He's creating the exact scene for the arrival of the Messiah. And he knows that the people will make a connection. They're going to see him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and this collective light bulb is going to go off in their heads. It's the Messiah. This is the way they said he would come. And I want to take just a minute and and talk about this donkey colt. Has, Has anyone here ever spent any time trying to ride animals? Yeah, has anybody tried to ride a donkey? An unbroken young donkey colt? It wouldn't want to be ridden. It wouldn't want to be ridden. And not only that, but donkeys are known for how stubborn they are. It wouldn't just want to come along wherever it was led. And it wasn't like there was a saddle for him to hold on to. It says that they threw their coats on top of the donkey and they set him on it. And I was thinking about this and and as I was reading it, has anybody here, do you remember the the old uh, TV series, Grizzly Adams? Anybody ever remember Grizzly Adams where it's the, the mountain man with the grizzly bear and the narrator says he had a special kind of way with animals? Well, it's not, it's deeper than that. It's not that Jesus is a donkey whisperer here. (laughs) But you remember the story of the woman who was, who bled, was hemorrhaging, and she tried over and over and over, and it was across the course of her life. And she went out and she touched Jesus' cloak. 
and she was healed. And so what I believe is that donkey knew immediately that he was in the presence of his master. It's the creature in the presence of his creator. And I believe that day is going to come for each of us to be in the presence of our creator. And there won't be any question in our minds either as to where we fit in the order of things. And so I'm not joking when I say that the donkey may have been the only one that day who actually got it, who actually understood who Jesus was. And so the crowd and the disciples connect the dots when they see Jesus on the donkey. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road, and as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they'd seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. They understood that prophecy was being fulfilled. They understood that the Messiah King is arriving. But what they don't understand is what that really means. What they think it means is that the day has come that they're going to be saved from the Roman occupation and domination of their country, and that Jesus will become the king of the land of Israel. They expected a king in the earthly sense. What they wanted was someone to protect them, to keep them safe, and provide for them in a material way, to meet all of their physical needs, to bring peace to their land. What they didn't understand was that Jesus came to be a king in the spiritual sense. He came to bring a kingdom in our hearts where he would rule. A king of how we would live our lives. The safety that he offers is eternal salvation. And the peace he brings is internal peace. Peace with God. They misunderstood what was taking place that day. Their expectations of him were off. The Pharisees misunderstood too. They see Jesus riding into Jerusalem and they connect the dots too. But they don't think that prophecy is, being, is actually being fulfilled. Instead, what they think is that it's being mocked. That Jesus is all just setting this up, that he's play-acting. And they yelled to him to put a stop to it. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And what Jesus tells them is, you can't stop this. You can't stop this because this very day was made for the purpose of Jesus being proclaimed Messiah. This moment was like a pregnancy that had reached full term. Any mother has experienced a moment that comes where that baby is coming out. Months and months have been building toward it, and the time arrives where there is no stopping it. It is going to happen. The funny thing is that before this day, Jesus had never allowed 
a public declaration of him as Messiah. Up until now, he had held his identity tightly. He kept it hidden. He guarded it closely. Mark 3, 11 and 12 tells of how Jesus healed multitudes of people. And it says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, you're the son of God. And it says he would strongly warn them not to make him known. The eighth chapter of Luke tells how he raised the 12-year-old daughter of of Jairus back to life. And it says her spirit returned and she got up at once. Her parents were astounded. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. The ninth chapter of Luke, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, answered, God's Messiah. And it says he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Mark 1, 41 through 44, tells of Jesus healing a leper and says that Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone. And then in the sixth chapter of John, after feeding 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and a couple of fish, the crowd was overwhelmed and astonished, and they started shouting, this is the prophet who has come into the world. But it says that Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. And so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And these are just a few examples because time and time again he avoided and he discouraged people from recognizing him as Messiah. And I always found this odd and wondered why. Why wouldn't he just come right out and say who he really is? And the answer is that it simply wasn't the right time. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus spoke of an hour that was to come. Do you remember his first miracle where he turned the water into wine? He was at a wedding, and his mother came to him and said, they've run out of wine. Remember what he said to her? Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The time wasn't right. At one point, Jesus' own brothers urged him to go public. They said, no one who wants to become a public figure does so in secret. Show yourself to the world. But Jesus said to them, my time is not here yet. My time has not fully come. And you see this even clearer in the times that Jesus, he just miraculously slips through the hands of those who wanted to kill him before. John 7.30 says that they were seeking to seize him and yet no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And in the same way in John 8.20 it says that These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. There was a time that would be right. There would be a time where all of the pieces would be in place. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And what Jesus knew was that God the Father had established a certain day, a specific day, an exact time for Jesus to reveal himself as Messiah. 
The Bible speaks of an appointed time, the fullness of time. It talks about that the time had been fulfilled, the days had been completed, that it came to pass. And what all those things convey is this sense that there are, there are events in time that are not just random. There are certain things which happen as part of a plan, things which eventually happen but only at the appropriate time. And Jesus' arrival as king on that Palm Sunday was that time. A day on God's calendar with a check mark on it. If these become silent, the stones will cry out. What Jesus is telling the Pharisees is there is no stopping this. God has set aside this day. Jesus is going to be proclaimed as king, and there is nothing that can come against it to change that fact. Because there's nothing that can thwart, delay, or derail the plans that God has made to accomplish his purposes. This was the day that God had established to set things in motion that would lead to Jesus being nailed on a cross. And so we look at Palm Sunday as the start of Holy Week. And you could picture this triumphal entry as the first domino to fall in a chain of events that would lead to his crucifixion. But the point that I've been driving at with God having established this day long before is that you're able to see that that line of dominoes extends back further than the eye can see. Let me say it another way. The, the day that we're talking about is right here. But look at all the pages that happened before it. And consider what they represent. How much time, how many twists and turns, and how many hills and valleys on those pages of the stories of a humanity that over and over again rejected God. But what you also see is a God who is sovereign over it all in order, what he, in order to accomplish his plan for salvation and what he had for that day. So I'd ask you to apply this truth to your own life today. The same God who is sovereign over the events of Palm Sunday is sovereign over you this day, your story as well. Isaiah 44.2 says that it was the Lord who made you and formed you in the womb. Daniel 5.23 says God holds your very breath in his hand and owns all your ways. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. And my absolute favorite passage of Scripture is Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16, which says, I will praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, 
when as yet there were none of them. In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. All of your days were written and planned by God before a single one of them ever began. God has ordained to set aside a certain portion of time and has given it especially to you. Your life is like this book too. It has a beginning and it has an end. And it has pages in between and across those pages God is using them to present his son Jesus Christ to you as your Lord and Savior. Life is not a pursuit of happiness. It's not about trying to make the world a better place. It's not about trying to be a good person. It's not about doing everything possible to extend it as long as possible. It's none of those things. Your life here on earth is simply a body of evidence as to who you have placed your faith in. Jesus Christ or yourself. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus presented himself as Messiah to the city of Jerusalem. It was planned and ordained before the foundation of the world. And what I believe is that he has planned and ordained a time for you personally where he presents himself as your Lord and Savior and that your eternity rests on whether or not you recognize it. Verse 41 says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. As Jesus came down that Mount of Olives to enter the city, he would have had a panoramic view of everything that lay before him. I can't help believe that he would have had a picture in his mind of all the events that were going to happen to him that coming week. He'd see the places. The garden where he prayed for the Father to remove the cup from him. The hill where his cross would be planted. In our day, we hold up as heroes the firemen who run into a burning building and police officers who run toward the sound of gunfire. And he knew exactly what he was stepping into as he traveled toward the city. But the tears he shed were not for himself or for the suffering that he would face in the coming days. The tears are shed for the city, for the people of the city. And he begins to prophesy because he has another picture in his head. He begins to paint the picture of a city that is destroyed because of their rejection of him. And the city was destroyed. Forty years later, 
the Roman army surrounded the city of Jerusalem for months. They ransacked it and destroyed it. The temple was burned after the Romans cleared every tree and bush circling the city for a distance of 10 miles. The historian Josephus estimated that 1.1 million people were killed inside that city. So it would have been a scene that looked like hell on earth. All because they did not recognize the time of his coming. The tears that Jesus shed that day were for what awaits those who would not come to know him as Lord and Savior. And I believe that he still sheds tears for lost souls today. His heart is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and place their faith in him. He went to the cross to bear the consequences of sin so that you would never have to. There are disastrous consequences for rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Tragic consequences for not recognizing him as king. But he's a God who loves you enough to warn you of them. And he's a God who loves you enough to give his very life for you. John 10, 18 says, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. And John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. His death on the cross provided the way so that those who believe in him will never face those consequences. And so I believe that God has established a time for you, for you personally, individually, a period of time where Jesus presents himself to you as Lord and Savior. I look back at my own life and I see the day, I know the day when I began to trust in him and I know all of the things that I did before that day and how I rejected him and now I see how he wove it all together for my good. So perhaps that day is today for you. I was fortunate that I grew up in a family where if I got myself in trouble, if I got stranded somewhere, there was someone who loved me that would come and get me. That's what Jesus Christ has done for every single one of us. So don't miss the time of God's coming to you. Don't fail to recognize his hand in your life. Don't fail to recognize his place as Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have chosen to create a time for each of us 
and that you've sent your son so that we could spend eternity with you. And so I pray over every, everyone here today that they come to know that, come to know who you are, who you truly are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.